Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for the Guilt Trip. Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend, colleague, brother, Julio. Julio, how are you doing on this Wednesday evening? Co-pilot, I guess, Co-pilot. For, this, for this arc we're starting. I'm, I'm doing I'm doing fine. I'm doing just fine. I We've had you know some pretty exciting past weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was nice to really ease back into a, a new a new arc of our podcasting career with a a delightful family movie. A delightful summer romp, despite yeah. its December release date. <laughs> uh, we're here today to kick off the Contrarian Summer Road Trip. As was laid out in our last episode, uh, Aladdin, we discussed uh, that for the trek into the mid and late 80s, uh, numerically of our podcast, similar to last summer when we tackled the... Uh, a big chunk of the Travolta filmography with the summer of Travolta. We're going on a road trip. Uh, we're alternating between rotten and fresh movies, uh, all centered around the underutilized trope of the road trip film. And uh, of course, fittingly, we're not actually doing road trip. <laughs> well, never say never, Alex. That's a, uh, I, I honestly it, feel it's, it's too high to be rotten. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's rotten on the, on the tomato meter, but it's not, I was about Actually. to say, I feel that that may lend itself more to a comedy or a comedy, Jesus, a commentary track more than anything. Oh, man. I haven't seen it since it came out. I mean, I know. Oh, I remember great. it. Yeah. I've seen parts of it. Who can forget Tom Green? Exactly. That was like the zenith of Tom Green. Uh, so if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, first and foremost, thank you for the listen. And secondly, just to kind of give an explanation of what it is we do here, uh, our slogan that we like to use is we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, find a movie that is highly ranked, a.k.a. fresh, make a case for why it isn't. And uh, conversely, find a nasty green splotch, a rotten film, make an argument for the merit that it possesses. So kicking off the Contrarian summer road trip is... The Guilt Trip, as was previously mentioned, which stands at a meager 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's rotten. That means that we're going to talk about it as if it was fresh. Mm-hmm. As if it was the greatest movie ever to star Seth Rogen and Barbara Streisand. And for those who listen to our podcast every week, they're probably like, we get it. We know what you do. Move on. <laughs> but do you know that we'll tell you how we actually feel in the second half of the podcast? Correct. Uh, we'll, we usually take a break about midway through and come back for uh, our real feelings on the matter, which is uh, aptly titled Real Talk. So being that, we are starting with the guilt trip here starring Seth Rogen and Barbara Streisand. It rings in at a very... Um, underwhelming 37%, meaning the critical consensus was that this was not good. Julio, what were the critics saying about this? All right. I got a, a few green splotches from Rotten Tomatoes. 
starting with Bill Gibron from Film Racket, who says, on paper, it must have seemed like a solid idea. I think we can all agree there. Yeah. Regardless of execution, if you pitched me Seth Rogen, Barbara Streisand in a car for 90 minutes, sold. Sold. Uh, Kirk Honeycutt from HoneycuttsHollywood.com. Seeing this movie is like watching two straight men performing an act. Neither one has any jokes. What? <laughs> you know, I hadn't really considered this a double entendre until I was saying it out loud. <laughs> I mean, I know what he means. He's yeah. talking about a comedy act, but Honeycut, you got me there. Uh, the immoral I- words of uh, Heath Ledger. A very poor choice of words. <laughs> uh, he's wrong to begin with. It's not two straight men. There's a woman as part of this team. <laughs> um, Austin Kennedy from Sin Magazine says, This movie takes absolutely zero chances. It's one of those safe, middle-of-the-road movies that conservative Uncle Fred, who sees two movies a year, can recommend to you during Thanksgiving. Thanks, Fred. Heavy shot at Uncle Fred. <laughs> yeah. Just unsolicited dig at Uncle Fred. You know, some people can't afford. I think that was Uncle go, Fred <laughs> to go to the movies twice, more than twice a year. Maybe they don't have the time. Maybe Uncle Fred is selective. Uh, and finally, Nigel Andrews from Financial Times. Uh, already, <laughs> Nigel Andrews. Oh, wait for it. It is the makers who should feel guilty, because Jeez. of course. You had to have the guilty pun. He wrote this with sunglasses on. I just fucking know it. <laughs> All right. So. Start the car, Alex. We're putting the keys in the ignition. I hope you packed your sunblock because we're taking off and we're not coming back until the end of summer. Andrew Brewster, our main character played by Seth Rogen, is a UCLA graduate uh, who lives in California and is. The synopsis is a synopsis that I read for this had him listed as an inventor. I guess that would be an accurate description. I, I think it just goes against when you think inventor, you think Doc Brown, Thomas Edison. <laughs> yes. Well, you think one somebody that's invented more than one thing, mm-hmm. and and two, you think somebody that's a little more like more kooky. Yeah. Like this movie from the very beginning just throws you off because it's it's responsible Seth, Seth Rogen. You don't get to see responsible Seth Rogen very often. This is no. put together Seth Rogen. He's not smoking weed. He doesn't. Dress like a schlub. He's he's wearing suits. He has glasses. He's he's fairly well shaved. Yeah, I mean for Seth Rogen, he's yeah. keeping himself fairly neat. And uh, I guess if anything, we would describe him as an aspiring chemist because he's working on a product that he's trying to pitch to all these different department chains across the country. Uh, Cyoclean. It's coconut oil, some sort of root, and um, soy. Soy. Yeah. <laughs> And he, we see uh, his first pitch. That's kind of what kicks us off to begin with. And uh, charisma, he does not exude. Which is, that's how you know Seth Rogen is acting. <laughs> because that is not the Seth Rogen we know and love from all those past comedies. That guy, he could be a loser, but he was charismatic. Here, he is not He's not quite a winner, but, but he's definitely not charismatic either. Something's missing. Yeah. So his goal at this point, or his uh, what the path of the movie is we're following, is he's going to fly out to New Jersey to uh, meet with his mother, have an evening with her, and then go on a road trip across the country from New Jersey, uh, ending up in Las Vegas, and along the way stopping where he can to attempt to sell this product. Uh, 
Uh, and of course, it wouldn't be a road trip with just one person. We got to have someone in the passenger seat, and uh, we have that in the form of Barbara Streisand, who plays uh, Joyce Brewster, the the mother figure to Seth Rogen. And do we describe her as passive aggressive? The first thing we see of her, our first meeting of her, is in a New Jersey airport where she kind of, uh, no pun intended, guilts. Uh, Seth Rogen into allowing all her friends to come over for dinner. Alex, we describe her as a mom. <laughs> this movie's greatest achievement, and it's not a small one, is that it basically reclaims the stereotype of the quotation marks nagging mom and makes it lovable again. You see Barbara Streisand exhibiting all the traits that previous movies, decades of filmmaking have ingrained into us. us. Yeah, they condition us to to just reject the mom that that worries too much, the mom that calls you all the time, the mom that's constantly fussing over your appearance, the mom that gets really excited about everything. All that stuff is adorable, and thank God Barbara Streisand (laughs) is on the job to remind us of that. I, I, I think that can you imagine if they hadn't cast Barbara Streisand? They had just like, an actress that couldn't really live up to that challenge. Because you really have to break through, like you said, the conditioning. Uh, yeah, initially, oh, well, it's, you react negatively to the fact that she's all over Seth Rogen and mm-hmm. just won't let him be. And it's like, mom, she is, he's like 40 at least. But then it doesn't take more than maybe a couple scenes to really, you know, just melt your heart. Yeah. And she it's coming all from a place of love and concern. She's asking him if he's dating, you know, how he's doing, all these things. But it really is just from a a well-meaning place. Uh, He has his first stop in New Jersey there locally before they set out on the uh, summer trek. And the pitch does not go well, but he has to put up a front to his mom so she doesn't worry further. And, he, you know, he's just leading on a charade at this point, explaining to her that, you know, it went well. I had a good feeling about it, etc. Uh, did you did you catch the the fact that obviously he was planning to return the suit that he had bought because he kept the tag? Yeah. And then the first thing she does is pull the tag off when she meets him. Yeah. Well, the first shot we see of him putting the suit on is he tucks the tag into the the breast pocket, and then yeah, when she sees him, just yanks it right off. It's never said out loud. I just love that the director said Anne Fletcher mm-hmm. or Anna Fletcher, but she just knew that we would get it visually. As these things tend to happen when visiting with family, it leads to uh, deep discussions and uh, confessions of years gone by that were never known. And pretty quickly into the movie, we find ourselves with a uh, emotional Barbara Streisand explaining that uh, the real love of her life, or so she thought, was with a gentleman by the name of Andrew Margolis, who she dated in their, in their 20s, uh, hence the name Andy Andrew Brewster. Uh she does confirm it's not his father, in fact, but just that she loved him so. And uh, and and Rogan's real dad never questioned why. Yeah, uh, was... exactly. And she all, doesn't she say also that she was expecting him to like object at their wedding, right? Yeah. And instead, she she watched too many movies. Oh yeah, that's that never happens. Has that ever happened in the history of the world that somebody actually objects? Who wants to be that asshole? Everyone loves Raymond. Real no, in real life. <laughs> The mom objects to Robert and Amy's wedding. <laughs> okay, well, she would, but that's... Yeah. Again, if you watch too many movies and TV shows, you believe that that would actually happen in real life. But It's true. Yeah. It also... You know what? This serves uh, Rogan right, because 
the implication, and then later the movie actually it spells it out, is that he hasn't really been visiting his mom as often as he should have. And that's what happens. You let too much time go go by, then she needs to drop those bombshells, mm-hmm. you know, the one time you're visiting, because she doesn't know when's it going to be the next time that this happens. So uh, maybe if he'd been a little more constant in her life, she could have doled out this information. Gradually. Slow, gradually. First she mentions Andrew Morgan. We call it the gradual and, trip. Right. <laughs> The trip to the grocery store. <laughs> uh, because of all this, the the recent revelations and also just an overwhelming sense of, um, you know, I haven't done my part as a son. In a moment of clarity, Andy invites Joyce along for the road trip, his business trip. He he says it out loud, and then you can see there's almost that twinge in his eye and face that he almost immediately regrets it. It's, it's, a, it's a callback to his Pineapple Express phone call. He's like, oh, I made a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's more I than that up. yeah he he finds the contact information of Andrew Margolis and extends his trip instead of ending in Vegas now he's gonna end it in is it San Francisco you're right yeah because I skip past that yeah. he's gonna surprise his his mom by taking her to Andrew Margolis which is I love that the movie had me 100% on board with this idea even though it's a terrible idea you know what I mean? I mean, later on, when we finally get to when Barbara Streisand finds out about this, that's when it dawned on me just the same time as it dawned on Seth Rogen that maybe that was not the best thing to do, that mm-hmm. maybe they should have had a conversation about it. Yeah. But but at the time when you were like, oh, that's really sweet that he's doing that for his mom. So you're behind it 100%. And that's also important because most of the movie that that's to come he's kind of a dick to his mom mm-hmm. and it's good that you've seen him do this really good thing for her ahead of time so that it balances it out you're like okay he's a dick but really at at the very least he has good intentions yeah and also via this uh segment of the film we get a great scene of some classic seth rogan improv on the phone trying to reach uh mr margolis doesn't he say like we served in nom together or something like that no. <laughs> classic Seth Rogen Uh, so they hit the road they hit the open road they end up sharing hotel rooms Uh, Joyce tries to kind of help his pitch we get this great uh, uh, shot of Rogen in the mirror giving himself you know his pitch and what he's going to say and trying to sell himself and then the camera pans out and she's right there you know folding laundry or whatever the fuck she's doing and you should say this you should do this and I mean, a mother knows best because all the advice she's giving him is great. Uh, One of my last notes is mama knows best. Drink that shit. Yeah. She says if it's all organic and not poisonous at all, you should drink it. You should display it. And then she starts proposing that it should be flavored, (laughs) perhaps cherry or root beer. Well, moms tend to get carried away. It's true. She. Now, initially, he was going to rent an SUV for this road trip, right? Right, she convinces him to downsize. Is that what happens? Yeah, to save money or something. I know zero things about cars. So to me, I mean, I got the, the point, which is that, oh, she likes coupons and she likes discounts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's all about saving money, which is another mom trope that, once again, the movie proves. But yeah, you can't really drive a right Fiat thing. across the country, <laughs> which is what it, attempts, it appears they're attempting to do. And they get to Tennessee. And Rogan expresses, or Andy, excuse me, expresses concerns of it snowing. And uh, Joyce is like, there's no way it would snow. Cut to it snowing. And then we get a heavy shot at uh, climate change deniers, as <laughs> Barbara Streisand says. It's all this global warming. 
earlier she called him a young Trump. It was nine years ago, or seven years ago, excuse me. <laughs> the world was a brighter place. It was. He could joke about that. And I told you that. I don't know if I said that on the podcast, but I was watching, uh, it was on my birthday, and I was watching my favorite wrestling match, and just because that's how I celebrate. And uh, <laughs> my sister's like, when was this? I was like, 2013. And she goes, Obama was still president. <laughs> I do believe, and we're getting a little sidetrack here, but it is, I mean, I think it happens at least once in every podcast that the gloom and doom of the current political <laughs> state of the of the U.S. <laughs> comes upon us, and then we have to joke it away. Uh, but I do believe We that, laugh so we don't cry. Yeah. Uh, you know, 20, 30 years down the road, history books, we will, uh, we will be referred to as that turning point. Yeah, I don't know where it turns to, but but really, it's like BT and AT. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> this is where America reached, you know, uh, event horizon. <laughs> Just <laughs> uh, oh no, it's deep impact. I was gonna do the end where the guy is in space and just unlatches his helmet and lets himself die. <laughs> no, event horizon is where the guy gouges his eyes out, yeah. and screams to the camera. So. Same thing. Lawrence Fishburne's in that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the point is... Not this in this, in it's Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> uh, it's a whole thing of contention. There's the mention of global warming, but the whole point of this is... Brogan is um, apoplectic over the fact that his mother made him get this little tiny fucking car that's not equipped to handle the open road... And he knew all along what he should have got. He believes he got a flat tire, so he pulls over to the side of the road in this snowstorm. And wouldn't you know it, they pull into the parking lot of a strip club. Yeah, uh, and then they go into the strip club because mm -hmm. she thinks that they sell tapas in there, which is adorable. It is. It's because the it says topless, but one of the neon lights is out. So, <laughs> God bless. Yeah. And, and, you know, props to Barbara Streisand not being afraid to go there in this movie. Yeah, in... in I mean, that's her entire movie, really, uh, just kind of... But even, you know, lowering her... Not lowering herself, but being uh, being risky and ballsy, for lack of a better term, enough to be shot inside of a strip club. Right. In her in this day and dignified age, age. In this day and age, people can memify that shit real quick. Just a screenshot of Barbara Streisand at the strip club, and that can become... You know, that can go viral or for the non, wrong reason. Yeah, for real. Or a non-source uh, checking press will just... You send them a screenshot of it, and they'll be like, oh, shit. Man. Barbara on the bend. BuzzFeed. Like, 10 celebrities you did not <laughs> expect to find a strip club. Because it's Tennessee, and because everyone there knows how to work on cars, one of the stripper knows strippers knows how to help him out. And basically, it's just a big chunk of ice is lodged in one of the tires, which I think... Uh, mechanically would make sense for a car that small that, that could really impede its ability, its mobility. Um, like I said, I don't know anything about cars, so I bought it. <laughs> I, I, I assume that... Julio would have tried point, to jump the battery. <laughs> I would have just called a cab. <laughs> I wouldn't even bother trying to fix it. Uh, but she fixes it with her heel, mm -hmm. which prompts uh, the awesome line from Barbara Streisand saying, like, oh, those high heels come in handy. <laughs> and... Because it's snowing, the roads are so shitty, they can't go anywhere. Because the roads are so shitty, the hotels are full. Uh, I think it's the bartender from the strip club asked, do you guys know anybody here? And then there's that talking over one another. Uh, Joyce is insisting they know someone there, while Andy's saying, no, that we don't. 
turns out it's uh, a past lover of Andy's, his high school girlfriend, in fact. Yeah. That they know that lives there, and they summon her to come pick them up so they can stay with her. She's played by Yvonne Strahovski, which is... Uh, I wasn't sure. I, I got her mixed up with someone else, but now I know. I looked it up. She is uh, uh, the main actress in Chuck, which I've never seen, but I know her from it anyway. And then she was in uh, the last season of 24, I think. Um, Wasn't she on Dexter as well? I'd never watched Dexter, so. Any of it? Well, I, I know. I know of you Dexter. You got her confused like I know with uh, Christine Taylor. Right. To like super hot, super funny, super talented uh, blonde women. <laughs> yeah. Because Christine Taylor is a dodgeball. Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, she, I think in every Ben Stiller movie the past few years, she has a cameo. She has a pretty sizable role in Zoolander. Never seen Zoolander. What? I know Zoolander like I know Chuck and like I know Dexter. <laughs> you, know, you should I, watch Zoolander before those other two. Well, it, it'll be faster too. Dexter can gargle my balls. <laughs> But not to be outdone by any of this, just showing up casually like a summer breeze, Colin Hanks playing the uh, husband character to the to uh, Jessica, and he has like two or three lines, but God, when he shows up, you're like, a star is on screen right now. But also, I think it's perfect casting, and this movie is perfect casting all around, but uh, you know, obviously, you start from the top, Seth Rogen, Barbara Streisand, in a car, go, mm-hmm. but then... You kind of need to keep that level throughout the road trip. And it's great because on one hand, Yvonne Strahovski, she, the, the whole point is that Seth Rogen has been haunted by the fact that he, like an idiot, broke up with this girl when they were young. Come and, to find out because he proposed to her and she Right. She said, no, because we're 17. Yeah. <laughs> like then, a rational person would. Right. And so then he said no. And then, and then of course, it's not just that she grows up to be Yvonne Strahovski. But then she marries Colin Hanks. Mm-hmm. So Colin Hanks is great and all, but he's also the kind of guy that you look at it and you look at him and you go, you don't deserve her. <laughs> <laughs> you only need two minutes to, to establish that. And that's exactly how much time Colin Hanks has in this movie. Colin Hanks, just across the board, there's no safe bet defines that man. <laughs> nope. There's no interpretation of it that he doesn't qualify for. The only thing you know is that he's not Tom Hanks. Yes. That's it, when you go safe in and bet. You see, that's the one safe bet, that you're not getting Tom Hanks. But other than that, sky's the limit. So naturally, this causes uh, some tension as Andy didn't want to go there to begin with. And he's heated and uh, can confirm when you see a lover from a past life that there's still unresolved feelings towards it can really fuck up your day, especially if someone shoehorns that activity in for you. But then the irony is that that's what he's doing with his mom. Yeah. It, and again, very wisely, the movie never says it out loud. They just kind of let subtext. You, yeah, it's subtext. They just let you focus on that that really <laughs> anguished close up of Seth Rogen, <laughs> and then the really awkward silent drive back. Yeah. To the hotel or whatever they're going. And on the drive the next day, they're heading to Costco. They're heading to Texas, or through Texas, I should say. And he just says, maybe you should have minded your own business. He's clearly not having it. They get to Costco. He's setting up, getting ready. And this one kind of confused me. So it seemed like they were just doing live demos of all these different people. Because he thought he was in a waiting room, but in fact, he was like on the show floor. Right. He he didn't know how Texas worked. (laughs) <laughs> they, we got things to do. We got to get Whataburger for lunch. We got to get in and get out. Yeah, because so far, every time that he's had one of these meetings, he they call him and he goes to the office and he does his presentation. But this time, 
It's just the open floor and the guy comes to your table and then you do the presentation there surrounded by everybody else that's also doing it. Ryan, I think, is the employee of Costco that comes to check it out. Yeah, it's kind of like speed dating. It's like speed pitching. Yeah. The Costco employee makes his way over to the table and Rogan is just, he's like unpacking all of this as it's going on and figuring it out. And Joyce is still there and he's like trying to get her to fucking leave. But it's too late and he pitches her as his business partner. You know, that just shows how... how overwhelmed he is because that's really a really good idea Mm -hmm. that he doesn't latch on for she i guess it eventually pays off later in the movie but she wins the guy over right away because she's being barbara streisand she's being funny and sweet and cute and she has a little hook for her purse yeah and everything and it's just that classic depiction of the the son that's just too uh self-involved yeah. To recognize how awesome his mom is. Self-important. Right. The the Costco guy, Ryan, he recognizes right away. There's a cool lady. Yeah. He's Barbara Streisand. And he can't pronounce the name of the Sioclean. And sh- uh, Barbara Streisand, Joyce, is explaining. Well, he's thinking about changing it. And then it's just kind of this round table of, yeah, you should change it. You should change it. And he snaps and just says, Ryan, I'm not changing the goddamn name. Awkward tension in the Costco headquarters from that point forward. Yeah. Uh, in, I don't know if you've ever been inside a Costco, but you don't get away <laughs> with that kind of language. <laughs> you get scorted out. Flash forward to the evening. Andy's hitting the bottle hard, sitting around a furnace at some motel <laughs> in God knows where, Texas. Uh, his mom is trying to give him water like a good mother does, similar to mine when I drink. Of just, hey, you need to stay hydrated, have this water. And then he just unloads on her and says, I don't want any water. Just shut up and leave me alone. And then we get the Oscar clip. We do. The best supporting act. I guess she would have qualified for best actress. Yeah, Streisand is not submitting for supporting. (laughs) She goes on a tear and tears him a new asshole she does. (laughs) And she explains that, you know, you don't have to like me. You don't have to be nice to me, but as long as I'm your mother, you will respect me. Shame. Rogan can't even look at her in the face. It's just, it's brutal, and it's so earned, and it's very cathartic, because by now, we're maybe halfway through the movie. It's been at least 40 minutes of poor Barbara Streisand just getting all this, this snark from Seth Rogen and these eye rolls, and she's finally had enough, and we've also had enough. And she puts him in his place. And then, like son, like mother, she goes and hits the bottle at the hotel bar fairly hard. Uh, a couple hours later, Andy goes to the hotel bar to try to get her. She's clearly inebriated, and the local yokels are just kind of filling her up with drinks. Did they say where in Texas they were? Because I know later they're in Lubbock. But did they say where? No. That was not Austin. No, it was not. I would imagine More like it was Dallas. Because everybody had a mm-hmm. cowboy hat on. I'd say on the outskirts, yeah. I'm trying to think of where they could be coming in from Tennessee. <laughs> Texarkana area. Yeah, North Texas somewhere. Scruffy, whoever the fucking <laughs> ringleader is at the hotel bar. It's like Jimmy or Timmy. Something like that. Buys her a drink and uh, Andy declines it on her behalf. And she says, well, we're just going to go back to the room. And he fucking grabs her by the wrist. And Andy does the right thing. and uh, But he like slaps him. Doesn't even punch him. He just... <laughs> fucking slaps him across the face and then of course he gets decked and we fade into the next morning and he's got a nasty shiner that he's sporting now i am glad that the movie 
that they didn't just leave Texas right there because I, I was hoping that the movie would give us the lighter side of Texas, not just the dark side of what happens when you piss off a drunk cowboy. Uh, and thankfully, that's where the movie goes next, which makes sense because Texas, like I told you while we were watching it, 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 they're in Texas, they're driving through Texas. That can take the rest of the movie. Yeah. If that's just how big Texas is. Yeah, it takes like 11 hours to get across the state, if and, that. And then, and then everything else is so fast. Once <laughs> once you get out of Texas, before you know it, you're in Canada. You can, yeah, you can beat through states in like three hours time. Uh, is the big stake in Lubbock? Is that where they stop? Yeah, okay. I think so. They stop at a local attraction uh, due to... This is where Rogan admits to Streisand that he's had no nibbles yet on his product and that he's broke. So her idea to counterbalance that is... To take the eating challenge where if she finishes it, it'll be free. And it's certainly enough food to occupy one's tummy. I, I think that... It's like a 72-ounce steak or some shit. I think she's just trying to cheer him up. The the, the Financially, it doesn't One thing really... is going to cheer a grown man up. It's Barbara <laughs> Streisand housing down a 72-ounce steak. I mean, dude, they keep cutting to Seth Rogen watching her eat that food. And there's love in his eyes. See, they've, they've finally moved past the nasty argument they had the night before. And now he's he's really finally appreciating his mom's company as she just chows down on so much food, uh, and she has to, the whole thing is she has to finish it under an hour, mm-hmm. or they have to pay a hundred dollars. Yeah. So like I said, financially it doesn't make sense, but but the spirit of it, I think, time is, is not is on their important. side. She pulls it off though, and along the way, a uh, local businessman named Ben Graw uh, has certainly taken an affinity for her, or found an affinity for her. And she finishes, gets the meal for free. He asks her out on a date following this, correct? And she kind of is scoffs it off, just not believing someone want to date her. Yeah, she she gives him the old uh, "I'm not ready to date." Um, that's that's not my thing. And then because hey, she hasn't dated since her and uh, Andy's did Andy's dad pass away? To the yeah, date? okay. And she hasn't dated since then. And Ben Graw is definitely a guy who has cocaine ties in Dallas. <laughs> A hundred percent. He he hits her with the other move, which is he just gives her his card. Mm-hmm. He says, "All right, well, when you make up your mind, you can call me." I've never done that. No. That that kind of thing. The balls you need to have <laughs> just a card that you give to women that you want to date. That's just it's next level baller shit, man. That's only a Texas mafioso <laughs> can pull that off. It's very fair. The act of eating this steak has now allowed Barbara Streisand and Seth Rogen. To repair all wounds, the the meat has filled in all the gaps and uh, uh, padded the wounds that they were there from the fight the night before. So we get our montage, which is customary of any fucking road trip film, and we're having a good time now. We're having fun. We're laughing. We're joking with each other. We're uh, Barbara Streisand at a gas station, getting in the wrong car. Uh, they She's, stop at the at the uh, Grand Canyon, and then they debate how long they're actually supposed to look at it. It's good to see somebody take the Grand Canyon down a peg. In a movie, you know, you would typically think um, it would be a bad thing for such really bad green screen of the Grand Canyon, but this one, you're still so wrapped up in what their psychological state is and what the ramifications and you know, meanings of all their actions are that you don't really have time to focus on that. And I have to applaud the filmmaker for that. Well, yeah, it also makes sense because the entire point of that scene is to say the Grand Canyon is not that great. Mm-hmm. So in order to reinforce that, ah, just give us a bad green screen. Really <laughs> yeah. meta. We get to Vegas and immediately 
Joyce is like me in Vegas. She sees a slot <laughs> uh, machine and you free go for drinks. The slots. Yeah. I was going to say, my note is perfect depiction of what slots do to older women. <laughs> That's just obviously my my own like Peruvian heritage. When I every time I go back home, I hear about my older aunts just going to the casino and just parking themselves on a on a on a slot machine and just. My game uh, of choice is uh, digital blackjack, but I can very much relate to getting there and just seeing all the lights and then the free drinks and just parking up and not returning until sun up. Andy's kind of a little bit of a bitch. He just kind of cashes in really early, and uh, his mom puts him to shame. She's out until the wee hours of the morning comes back. And Yeah, you'd think that he was the one that ate the steak and is still digesting it. Dude, yeah, Joyce knows how to fucking party. She comes back, and completely buried in all of the action is that she got her ears pierced, which she's really psyched about, and I don't even think Seth Rogen knows how to process it all. But he's got his big final pitch. Uh, but it's here... In the early mornings of uh, Las Vegas, that he explains that he doesn't have a remaining conference in um, was it San Francisco. They were yeah, San to? Francisco. Yeah, he doesn't have a remaining conference or pitch or what have you, uh, because she propositions that you go ahead. I'm just going to stay here and get rowdy. <laughs> she loves Vegas so much. It's just so. It, it's such a devastating scene that comes out of. There's no malice. No. She she wants to do good for him. She says, Hey, you've you've been putting up with me for all these days. Just leave me here in Vegas. Go have fun in San Francisco on your own. Pick me up on the way back. Um and he obviously wants her to go meet Andrew, what's his name? So so they're Margolis. both yeah, they're both trying to to be good to each other and instead ends up in the, you know, just the most heartbreaking scene in the movie, I think. The difference is uh Andy didn't think through how he was delivering his message and basically it just came across like, yeah, I was just trying to pawn you off on this other guy because Joyce really gets her feelings hurt about this whole thing. Right. She thought that he invited her along because he wanted to spend time with her. And like I said earlier, I never, it never even crossed my mind that that would be a side effect, (laughs) an unintended (laughs) consequence of whenever he revealed what, why they were really traveling to San Francisco. Uh, The idea that she would care more about, her son's feelings for her than you know an old flame from mm-hmm. when she was she was young uh so that was that was a nice bit of misdirection so she's upset she gets up she powders out she's nowhere to be found uh andy reports to the home shopping network uh pitch meeting come to find out they're actually filming him like it would be on an infomercial he goes through his same spiel and rigmarole and realizes that you know his mom was right all along and it's really fucking boring yeah he looks up and like somebody's texting and some other dude is just distracted by his glass of water so he starts just kind of ad-libbing and joking and just trying to do whatever he can to stand out and you know explains that uh, Windex, all these other products are extremely toxic and poisonous. And somehow, even on a closed set, uh, Joyce is able to wander in and just kind of watch from afar what's going on. All she on. has to say is, I'm her, I'm, I'm his mom. And yeah. then you just let her in. How could you not? So finally, heeding her advice uh, for an attention-grabbing gimmick for the pitch, he takes a glass, he pours his own cleaning product in it and drinks it and says, you know, this is how organic and safe that it is. And that's the big thing that puts it over the top and that they really take interest of because the head of uh, Home Shopping Network explains they're very intrigued afterwards and are Can looking to get into business with them. how much more successful he would have been 
if he had been following his mom's advice through the entire trip. Instead I think of he just realizes the, that here. <laughs> yeah, you can see it sink in and Rogan's. He starts doing the he starts doing the math and it's like this is cool, but you know Costco would have been cooler <laughs> if I had just fucking listened. Mother knows best. The guilt trip. Colon. Mother knows best. We head to San Francisco to finally meet up with Andy Margolis, Andrew Margolis, and he has passed. Andrew Margolis Sr. has passed. And so th- there's there's a nice bait and switch because th- the the person that opens the door is Adam Scott. And ben he, White himself. Yeah, and Ben White, I mean, he's answering to the name Andrew Margolis. Did you at any point consider that maybe they were trying to get Adam Scott to play <laughs> a, a contemporary of Adam? Of they would have had to put the J. Edgar makeup on him, though, to <laughs> kind of make him look the period appropriate. Uh, but I was relieved when it was revealed that uh, it was just Andrew's son. Yeah. Junior. Senior passed five years prior to their conversation. And obviously this is a, a hard thing for uh, Joyce to hear and process. So they go in and kind of swap stories. We get a shot of uh, Barbara Streisand looking at pictures of her former lover. Uh, asks Adam Scott, you know, or explains, I dated your father in our 20s. Did Did he ever talk about anyone from that period? He explains, no, you know, he only talked about our mom. Enter, As you do. I yeah. mean, it would be kind of... It would be weird if you talked about something else to children. <laughs> you know, I used to date Barbara Streisand before uh, she was Barbara Streisand. Ari Grainer enters the room and is established as a sister character to Andrew Margolis Jr. And is then introduced to Andy and Joyce. And much like Andy was named after Mr. Margolis, we find out that uh, Miss Grainer here, her character's name is Joyce leading one to believe that that name and that persona stuck so soundly with uh, Mr. Margolis that he named his firstborn daughter after her. That's in register for Adam Scott, who probably, he looks like he'd just woken up. Yeah. So I, I don't blame him for not really putting two and two together, but uh, but it definitely registers with Rogan and Barbara Streisand, and it's, it's a pretty sweet moment. Yeah, it is. And we get a good uh, uh, cuts back and forth of them kind of looking at each other with this moment of realization. And like I told Julio, I could have used like when the credits were done rolling the one shot of like Adam Scott at home be like, oh, <laughs> the point is to all this is that maybe not the way she wanted it, but Joyce gets closer closure from the situation and the ending scene of the film is at the airport and it's immediately following this where she does explain that, you know, I'm glad I met him. But it was never meant to be because I met your father and I had you. That's what life's all about type of thing. And we get a, an emotional goodbye. I feel like we've been through a lot with these two over the last 90 minutes. And it's it, natural for us to be emotional with them. But it's commendable because they don't go for like the cheap tear. They, no. they, they never they don't cry. They just hug each other. They Barbara Streisand actively tries not to cry and mm-hmm. succeeds. And then she she goes to get laid. <laughs> they part they say their i love yous and they break uh, as she's walking away she pulls her phone out and rogan remarks oh this is a new record uh, as it's been established that she always calls when they part and he picks up his phone and is waiting for it to ring and it never does and then we cut back to streisand who's saying ben it's me the steak lady or whatever the hell she identifies <laughs> herself as so we know now that she has you know there's nothing left to do but self-terminate she's accomplished <laughs> her goal she's done her job fulfilled her prophecy and now with her conscience clear of doing right by her son she can go back out there and get her rocks off 
you date that Texan, that might be the last date you ever have, but but it'll be a good one. It'll be good because you know he's just floating in coke money. <laughs> and then, then I honestly, I I applaud the movie for not taking the the super predictable way out and make that guy because he mentioned that he has business in New York or New yeah, Jersey. Yeah, I was worried that he was going to be the person that invested in him. In right, the it, you know, he uh, Rogan flunks on every meeting he has, but then this guy comes to save him it would have been it wouldn't have been good because you wonder if he was only doing it because of barbara streisand yeah there would have been too many gross implications with it <laughs> couldn't have handled it earlier, i like my streisand innocent and not yeah propositioned er, er, earlier on in the movie she talks about how she doesn't want to whore herself out when when he takes her to one of those dating places yeah uh so yeah, that would have gone against the whole thing. You know, it's like she doesn't want to hold herself out in the beginning, but then she'll do it for her son's business. That's gross. The characters stay true to the end, and so does the writing staff. They don't shortchange us at all. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that writing staff, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it during real talk, but it's it's an old friend of ours. Uh Dan Fogelman. That's right. Sneaking back into the show. <laughs> back on the podcast. All right, so that was the first leg of our summer road trip with the guilt trip, and that was Contrarian's Corner. Are we ready oh, to wait, move this along? one last thing. Oh, no. As the end credits roll, a lot of good stuff, a lot of improvising back and forth, just Streisand and Rogan chilling, delivering zinger after zinger, all on the cutting room floor, <laughs> which is a lesson that some other filmmakers could have learned. This is true. Just because the improv is it, it funny, it keeps it a tight ninety-six minutes. That's how you achieve the golden ninety. You need to kill your darlings, cut it all, and then you know you can put some of it during the end credits. This yeah. is a very fair point. The yep. Mattis rule: ninety and minutes. That's how you. That's how you get to it at least half the time. Don't leave it all in. <laughs> There's such a thing called uh, DVD extras, Blu-ray <laughs> Not special anymore. features. Yeah, Blu-ray special features. I'm sure streaming will come up with some sort. Of, I mean, even some streaming. Uh, Amazon Prime has some stuff that you pay the extra dollar or whatever, and you have all the special features at the very end of the streaming stuff. That's why you got to have the extended versions or the unrated versions. That's why those exist. The guilt trip unrated. I know filmmakers that show restraint, and those people are cowards. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what the real quote is. It's something like, I know subtle writers. I know writers that are subtle, and those people are cowards. <laughs> it's something to that effect. But Good call out. Yeah, because over the closing credits... You get these fun quips back and forth, but had they been actually put in the movie, it would have been like, all right, let's move it along. Right. But, but the movie stays sharp and quick and fast-paced enough that you're just like, all right, we're floating along here. And then at the end, you have enough time to relax and reflect and say, oh, I'm glad they included this here. <laughs> yep. <Okay>. Take notes. <laughs> Looking Avengers. At you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, now let's go to real talk. Let's put this into second gear. For every glass of alcohol that you drink, you need an extra glass of water. Ma, to Ma, can you not see that I don't want to talk right now? Are you, are you blind? Are you, are, how idiotic can you be? Can you not tell that I don't want any water? Enough with the nagging and the water. Just shut up. Just shut up. I don't know what to say. Finally. Finally, you said? You little shit. Mm. 
you condescending, self-absorbed little shit. I can't do anything right by you, can I, Andy? Everything I say is wrong, everything I do is wrong. Go ahead. Why don't you keep insulting me? Because you haven't made it quite clear just how much you can't stand being with me. What do you think? I'm stupid? You think I'm stupid? No. You think I don't know that you went to school in California so that you'd only have to see me once a year? Why, Andy? Why? What did I do wrong? What did I do? Did I care for you too much? Did I love you too much? What did I do? Okay, okay. What did I do? It's not okay. This is the way you talk to me? Like I'm some thing that has to be tolerated? Well, let me tell you something, kiddo. You don't have to like me or spend time with me. But as long as I'm your mother, you will treat me with respect. Now drink your fucking water before you drop dead from dehydration. All right, we are recording for Real Talk for The Guilt Trip. All right, The Guilt Trip. Directed by Ann Fletcher. Written by the aforementioned Dan Fogelman, which caught us both by surprise. Old friend of the podcast by now. <laughs> Released on December 19th, 2012, the biggest, without question, misstep the movie took was having a Christmas release date. Explain why. Why do you think that this is not a proper Christmas release, other than it's not set on Christmas? Fucking releasing this in, like, September? <laughs> right after, like, all these women drop their kids off at school? Or, like, when... I mean, I don't mean to sound sexist, but, it, you know, you have to play to your market. And a big part of this market would have been uh, middle-aged women or, um, you know, mothers in their late 30s, early 40s, that type of thing. So you got to play to that. This isn't a family movie. It's, right. It's you're not going to you're going to take the kids to watch. No. I mean, good luck even convincing your husband to go watch this. Yeah. As far as a Christmas date, holiday date. Yeah. Actually, you might be able to do that. It's just that around Christmas, you're crowded. Yeah, and it's not being sexist, because I'd say the same thing about, like, if they release the fucking Expendables as a Christmas release, it's like, that's fucking dumb. They should probably do it a weekend in August, right before kids go back to school and the summer's over. So Mother's Day release would have made more sense. Mother's Day, yeah. that It just seems like there are, were so many other areas that this could have, at times, it could have been released as opposed to Christmas. So to each their own. Uh, it did make back its budget just barely with a budget of an estimated 40 million box office return of slightly under 42. So uh, I think that warrants calling it a flop. Yes, except that then it became a cult classic, I'm sure. <laughs> Afterwards, <laughs> well, we've only had six and a half and... years, so I, I don't know about that yet. But <laughs> it's give, on its way to becoming. Give it, give it time. That's right. Uh, 37% of Rotten Tomatoes. I remember when this was coming out, I was still working. At the theater, it came and went from what I recall. That's what I remember. I remember seeing the trailer more than I remember seeing the movie in theaters. Which was kind of surprising for something that Barbara Streisand. I thought the casting was really good. I thought the idea of it, Barbara Streisand, Seth Rogen. Yeah, but, I mean, it could be around the holidays. That's really, really strong competition. It's very so. easy to slip between the cracks at that point in time. It's vicious. I wonder what the big release was uh, that Christmas. Because it's... I mean, even on a slow, you know, and by slow, I mean a non-Star Wars Christmas, mm -hmm. you would still would have had something that's bigger, that has more punch, uh, even if you're like, oh, well, Barbara Streisand's coming back to the big screen. Yeah. 
Uh, I'll look that up in the interim. Uh, 37%, meaning not many people cared for it. But with that being said, 30% of those people that gave it a view said, yeah, let's go ahead and watch this again or uh, go ahead and seek this out. So those that were positive about it, Julio, what do they have to say? Well, for starters, Willie Waffle from WaffleMovies.com. That's not a real person. <laughs> his, his, his showbiz name is Willie Waffle. His real name is Michael Waffle. But either way, WaffleMovies.com. If you see the guilt trip and don't immediately call your mommy, you're almost not human. I'm glad he threw in the almost, so he wouldn't completely offend people. Yeah, and also mommy. <laughs> well, uh, Kristen Tillotson from the Minneapolis Star Tribune says, It's the entertainment equivalent of a good roadside diner meal. No big belly laughs, but quite a few chuckles. No catharsis, but some really sweet moments. I'm good with that one. And then finally, Maura McDonald from Seattle Times says, Some movies are all about chemistry, and the guilt trip has enough to fill a lab. A laboratory, not a Labrador. <laughs> uh, chemistry was, yeah, it was there. Um, and to close the loop, its competition around that time was The Hobbit, Zero Dark Thirty, Jack Reacher, This Is Forty, Django Unchained, Les Mis, Parental Guidance, and Promised Land. <laughs> I mean, most of those are heavy what a hitters. Weak. Uh, with the exception of Django, what a weak lineup for that. Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, go listen to our <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty episode and get my take on that movie. But would you I, say? What did you say? It's at least a stronger Christmas release. It's a strong release in the terms of it garnered more attention. Neither one of those. I don't. I think they would. Well, the fucking award season shit. You got to factor that in. Right. So, yeah. Uh, there's no season that would make Zero Dark Thirty an interesting movie. <laughs> fucking, yeah, that movie's boring as sin. Uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about Zero Dark Thirty, because Jessica Chastain's got enough on her plate with X-Men coming out tomorrow, and fucking It too. And that's just the releases that we are aware of right now. <laughs> that's right. She's got six things coming to Netflix next Tuesday. <laughs> And Fletcher, director of The Guilt Trip, also directed uh, Step Up in 2006, 27 Dresses, the Katherine Heigl seminal classic, uh, The Proposal with... Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, and Sandra Bullock, and since has directed Hot Pursuit and Dumplin'. Hey, I've seen Dumplin'. Was it good? Yeah, it was, it's, it's like a pleasant Netflix time. I'm... I'm fine with calling this pleasant. Yeah, I, I was about to say, just like this movie, except that it was not a Netflix release. No. <laughs> it was a, a Christmas release, a Christmas-wide release. Um, I think that that last quote, and that's why I put it last, where it talks about the chemistry, I, mm. I think that's really what it boils down to. If you didn't have Barbara Streisand and Seth Rogen... It, it would have been pretty brutal to get through. Yeah. But they, they really, especially Barbara Streisand, maybe because... I really haven't watched that many movies with her in it. I am more familiar so with So effortless. Yeah, she's just she's really funny and she has the perfect energy to counterbalance this kind of Seth Rogen. The the Seth Rogen that's just more about playing it square and not uh not the not the pothead Seth Rogen, but the trying to be a grown up Seth Rogen. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was I, I liked it. I think that that's really what drives the movie and keeps it watchable. Uh not certainly not the story because it's, it's very simplistic right it's just 
you know, predictable, which is not necessarily bad when you have two two big stars that can deliver. Uh, trivia: Dan Fogelman wrote the film based on a road trip he took with his mother Joyce from New Jersey to Las Vegas, Nevada. The film is dedicated to her. Uh, the movie was meant to be for airplanes only. When Seth Rogen made the admission about it during an interview uh, on the podcast, Doug loves movies. So there have been a few of those. What for airplanes only? Mm-hmm. Like like straight to video, but it's, it's straight to video inside an airplane. Correct. What was the movie with Gwyneth Paltrow where she was a, a country music artist that had like an addiction problem? Right. Uh, country true or something. Yeah, I know. Country what you're strong. About. Maybe. Have I ever told you that? Was that you that told me about that? On that you were on a flight and you watched it. No. Okay. It was it was Reed then because like the real movie she like dies at the end, and then the one for the planes she lives and it's like a happy ending. Because <laughs> you don't want people to be that bummed. Yeah, in, exactly. In a flight. Uh, It'll ruin their trip to fucking Idaho or where the fuck they're going. Uh, the last one, which is so strange, it has to be true. Uh, Paramount Pictures marketing department were so certain that Barbara Streisand would gain a Golden Globe nomination for her performance that not only did they put out an ad congratulating her victory, but posted it online moments before the nominations were even announced. Wow. Only to swiftly pull the ad when Streisand ended up without a nod. That's probably the same person that thought that that releasing on Christmas was a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, that... uh... Who were the ad wizards that came up with that one? <laughs> yeah, that said, we release on Christmas, we get nominated the day after Christmas, we collect the Golden Globe on the 27th. <laughs> Step three, profit. <laughs> um, yeah, I know we're kind of bouncing around here, but anytime where Seth Rogen, and I, I love, you know, how like uh, super bad, um, knocked up, knocked up to me is. Judd Apatow's masterpiece. So I do like when those guys are kind of untethered. And especially by today's standards, those are both like restrained movies. But uh, when you have a character with like the Seth Rogen tropes, but then kind of wrangle it in and not make it as over the top and verbose as like they are in some other movies. Right. Just kind of not um, domesticate it, but you kind of just keep it tight and concise and i think that's what they did here and then adding that dynamic of the streisand character to play off of it i feel i'm not sure if the writing could have been better i I don't really know where the failing is but i think it's a perfectly fine movie i I think the failing uh, as as it were i mean i don't think that the quality of the movie has much to do with how with why it failed (laughs) Mm -hmm. this i think this is one of those where uh the release date is probably the worst thing that could have happened to it Uh, but uh, it's also not particularly challenging. I mean, that's the other thing. It it all goes according to plan, and and it gets to some really sweet spots, but there's nothing really mind uh, mind blowing about it. Uh, Another big thing too is it um, it's wholesome. There's not a bunch of like vulgar comedy in it and things like that. I mean, so they couldn't pitch to that audience. I was relieved, even though I should have known better. But I was relieved we didn't get a moment of of. Uh, Barbara Streisand getting really sick after eating the steak mm-hmm. because another director, another writer would have given you that moment. And that's, that's or her the getting on the version. stage at like the strip club after having too many drinks and right. trying to dance. Yeah, yeah but yeah. instead they keep it safe. And that was a lot of the quotes uh, on the 
Rotten Tomatoes website, there were a lot of complaints about how predictable and how safe it is. And that's that's fair, but at the same time, you that's can't... not always a bad thing. Right. You can't deny that it doesn't that it works. Uh yes, it's not rewriting history or rewriting the genre, but you sometimes you don't have to if your if your ambition is modest, mm-hmm. which is just like let's just have a pleasant ninety minutes with two comedic actors, then mission accomplished. If your goal is let me make something I can take my mom to and she'll enjoy. Yep. Yeah. That's it's pretty safe. There's nothing it, it has it has good actors, so it can hit the emotional beats as well as it hits the, the comedic beats. It's just not gonna get anybody a Golden Globe. I mean, calm no. down. Whoever you were, at, was it Paramount? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam Scott at the end was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, that the worst hairdo he's ever had. Yeah, it was very strange. I, he should just always rock that Ben Wyatt quaff. <laughs> I mean, it, it's great. I was just thinking that Jif uh, you always use to respond that when he turns around and winks at the camera when he's at the accounting firm. <laughs> Is he was he a, a nicer surprise than Kong Hanks? At least he's a more significant surprise. Yeah, at least Adam sure. Scott got a few lines. Colin Hanks is just like, hey, Tom Hanks' son. Do you think that there's a, a, a just an entire Colin Hanks subplot that ended up in the cutting room floor? Ann Fletcher is vicious. Yeah, <laughs> when it comes to cutting, apparently. Good. That's uh, good. I don't know. I don't know what it would have been. I guess how he met Jessica and. Yeah, maybe a longer sequence where they actually maybe spend the night at the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, like, runs into uh, Andy in the kitchen in the middle of the night. And <laughs> right. like, I win. <laughs> Turns out to be, like, a real douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> you think you're tough shit and just kind of, like, backhanding him in the face. And now I'm going to try to sleep with your mother. <laughs> uh, and and in, I guess in um, pra- praising the writing, kind of like we have been also, most of the comedy is good and subtle and yeah there's no big like huge belly laughs but it's consistent enough to keep the movie enjoyable yeah there's not a big set piece the closest it gets to a big set piece is barbara streisand eating that steak mm-hmm. um but even then it's just like the little moments like i mentioned in the turns corner i i actually laughed out loud when i saw her uh rip the tag out of the jacket yeah which i thought was really clever and i was so thankful that they didn't explain the joke that it was just all on you know what we've seen, yeah. Uh, and there's little things like that throughout the movie that they were just funny without calling attention to themselves too much. I think the most vulgar part, and we both popped for it, was when he's on the home shopping network doing his plug for his thing, and he's like, <laughs> "And I would challenge any of my competitors to come on and drink their product, but I don't think they're going to because no one wants to shit blood." And then it's just like <laughs> that dead silence for three seconds. Uh, but it's good because they also acknowledge it. Everybody reacts to it in, in a way that kind of is in line with the fact that the movie is not used to this kind of humor. Yeah. So. Yeah, even for as clunky just kind of story-wise as some of it is. and uh, But the whole notion of keeping it tight also lets them get away with, in a lesser movie or a longer movie, the steak scene would have gone on way too long. <laughs> but it's like, fuck it. They've rewarded <laughs> me so far for watching this, so I'll allow this to kind of drag on. Uh I guess, aside from the release date, one of my biggest complaints about it would be, and that has nothing to do with the actual movie itself, uh, as we'll discuss, the further and further we get into this uh, summer of the summer road trip, soundtrack is paramount to a good road trip movie, as was illustrated in Elizabethtown. Yes. Kirsten Dunst, in fact, has an entire monologue about this. 
and the sound. And then she proceeds to make a mic- the ultimate yeah. road trip mixtape. And uh, my father's gun starts playing, and then we get shots of Orlando Bloom in his <laughs> car crying, like, ah! oh god. Okay, what were the the what were the tunes in this one? That's the thing. I can't really remember any. I can already tell you from fucking uh, Little Miss Sunshine and Almost Famous, like songs that are in that movie. I definitely Almost Famous. I remember. I, I don't know. That I remember in Little Miss Sunshine. This one. To be fair, this is the first time I saw it, but at the same time, there was no tunes that really stuck out. Yeah, no, but but there's not even like a musical sequence. I guess the montage sequence. I couldn't tell you what the song is, and that's usually the one that you would remember. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the one I do remember is the end credits when they're showing you the the cutscenes. Yeah, and they have a uh, stuck in the middle with you, and yes. really, that's more a, a, a Reservoir Dogs association. I was like, oh, it's the song from Reservoir Dogs. That's yeah, why I remember. Yeah, I don't know how you can hear that and not think of that. Yeah, uh, and then of course we saw it in the credits. You saw it in the credits and freaked out that Wonderwall uh, was. Yeah, a Paul Anka cover of Wonderwall, <laughs> which I'll be editing this episode, so it will be featured at some point in here. <laughs> Yeah, the Reservoir Dogs. When I was at my cousin's wedding, my uncle walked up. He was in the tux because he was in the wedding. and or It wasn't really tuxes. They were just suits. He came up smoking his cigarette, and he had his dark shades on. And he fucking looked like the uh, Reservoir Dogs. Uh-huh. He came up. as I called him Mr. Pink. Not really sure if he would get the reference. He's like, why the fuck you call me that? Can't get me a name like Mr. White or something? <laughs> <laughs> I really hoped that your story was going to end with your uncle dancing like Michael Madsen. Who no. was stuck in the middle with you. No. It, He's not that cool. I don't think they've invented dancing in Richmond, Indiana yet. <laughs> No, he he's cool, but yeah, he, you, you'll never get that dude to dance. Um, I think that the other thing, in addition to the soundtrack, is the the actual uh, what would you call it? You know, the the stops. And, and here, I guess you get the the badly green screen uh, Grand Canyon. Uh, as far as like name calling, uh, oh my god, what do you call them? Not milestones, but you know, uh, pit the, stops. No, but like the famous places where you would stop to. Just do something like the Grand Canyon. Tourist attractions, maybe? I don't know. But I guess not just limiting them to that, but sometimes I hear, okay, you definitely know, they make a point to let you know that you're in Texas for Mm -hmm. a fair chunk of the movie. Uh, And it feels Texan. I don't know about the strip club feeling like, what is it, Tennessee? Yeah. I mean, I guess they have the Even like Dumb and Dumber, like as a road trip movie, they still have the shots of like the state lines and stuff like that they cross. And yeah, it feels... Explaining this movie to someone, you might not really be able to convey that it's a road trip movie. It's right. Just, yeah. Or that it's as expansive as... Okay, so Vegas. You know they hit Vegas, and when they get to Vegas, it feels like Vegas. Mm-hmm. Texas feels like Texas. Only because everyone's wearing a goddamn cowboy hat. And the steak. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe you need to live in Texas to really get that, yes, eating that much food makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, someday, I might have already told you... That, that, time that i tried to eat a 12 egg omelet at a place where it was my like god it, if you eat a 12 egg omelet then you get your picture on the on the thing and uh i failed obviously but yeah. it doesn't sound like that much food until you have it and well, until you're halfway through eating it that's uh one in a million you've eaten there no oh dude one it's fucking great and two it's hard to explain to you but their record is like someone ate like eight of their tacos or don juan tacos which one I can usually get four tacos out of what they classify as one. <laughs> so I'll order one and then bring me three flour tortillas with it. And I just eat off that. Uh, so, yeah. Long story short, we take eating very seriously in Texas. 
Yeah. Uh, so that that felt accurate. But then, yeah, the rest. In, it, it's it's kind funny of girl a, takes it seriously too. <laughs> oh, uh, they at the very beginning, Seth Rogen unfolds a map, and and you kind of see all the stops. So I don't think that the movie fulfills that promise. I mean, it does in the sense that it gets you to Vegas. Actually, mm-hmm. it gets you even further. It gets you to San Francisco, but it doesn't really. We don't really get the stops other than Texas and Vegas. Yeah, uh, which is you know. Maybe independently of the movie's quality, as a road trip movie, that that knocks it down a few a few notches. Yeah, for the guys of what we're looking at, at the end, it may not have been really what the movie was about. I really have a hard time being too critical of this because, again, it like we've said from the the jump uh, with this whole thing is a big thing about movies being bad is when they're they cross a certain point of length where it becomes tiresome to watch it. And I know the magic number I always reference is 90 minutes, but it's true. If you're watching a movie mentally, you know, you're in for at least that much. And then when you go past that and it's still really bad, then that's going to really, uh, affect your opinion of it. But with this, it's like, even so, cause we've watched movies that Paul Blart was 90 minutes and it was fucking <laughs> terrible. So it's not always the case, Yeah. but here it's like plot made sense. Characters' motivations made sense. Yeah, but you do set an expectation. It's not outstanding, but... Yeah. Right, but you set an expectation when you you basically qualify your movie as a road trip, and this is called the guilt trip, so it even has trip on the title. <laughs> and so you expect to go through places. Uh, and of course, yes, if the... If this road Not trip, that the whole thing was just filmed in Toronto and <laughs> right, Las you expect Vegas. some variety. So I mean, you get snow here, you get yeah, uh, and you get the stops, you get to meet different people, which is kind of like that thing. Uh, I think that yes, if your road trip movie is 120 minutes long instead of 90 minutes, you kind of have to justify that that moniker a little more and really show us more places and make it feel like we're really traveling through this gorgeous land of ours. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I guess they do just enough. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that happens in that car, and I think that also carries you a long way because at least it feels like they're moving, even if we don't really, we can't really distinguish where they're moving to or from. Yeah, at least you can feel like, well, it's a trip. You're in the car. Do you like Seth Rogen? All in all, yeah, yeah, I do. I, uh, he's one of those guys. I probably because in a lot of ways I've grown up with him, but I don't. When people lump him as like a type of the whole archetype of his character that they find annoying i'm just like oh no. dude no that's that's a misrepresentation or misconception because have you heard him when he's not acting i mean he's a pretty yeah. smart guy yeah, yeah, just, yeah. uh and just that's good at playing that character right yeah. but even for that I, I find him very charismatic on screen he's usually really funny there's a few movies of his that i just don't find funny but that's not that's not really I mean, it's not his fault in the sense that I don't think that he's calling the shots in those, mm-hmm. you know. And it, well, okay. So what's the movie where he everybody plays themselves and uh, this is the end. Yeah, this your is the favorite. End. I still haven't seen it. And, oh, uh, yeah. And maybe I would probably at this point I would probably like it more than I think I would. But it's not my kind of movie. That's not Seth Rogen's fault, although it is the kind of humor that I know he he seems to enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I thought you had seen that. I think I've when seen it came parts out. Of it. I think when it came out, you were so like viciously opposed to the notion of it. It was my Lego movie of that of that <laughs> that period of time. Fair and, enough. Uh, 
difference is I, I did see the Lego movie <laughs> before I was vicious about it. Uh, yeah, no, I Everything think is it, awesome. <laughs> Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Uh, but he's, uh, no, he's funny. He's, he's, his delivery is really good. And he, I think that he, he's a good improviser. Um, and he can do drama. Do you watch, you've seen 50-50, right? That was the last of our circle of friends mm-hmm. to watch 50-50. Mm-hmm. I think he's great in 50-50. Yeah. He, he's really funny, but he also, he gets to be really emotional. So. We, we've talked about it before on the podcast. Um, Apatow, Adam Sandler. Funny people. F- funny. I was going to say funny bones. <laughs> I was going to say funny games. <laughs> we'll get there one way or the other. Um, for all the faults and failings of that movie, which there are in abundance, He's extremely good, and a lot of his quality comes from the scenes where it relies on him to be like an actor, like yeah. a serious actor. Yeah, and I, at least to me, that was the first time that I saw him as not the the, the funny Seth Rogen persona. And I was like, oh, so he can tone it down, mm-hmm. and it still works. You need to watch Undeclared. One of these days, you're going to have to watch it all the way through, because he was like 19 at the time, but he had a hand in writing it, and his character throughout it, it's really... There's really no goofy like Pineapple Express Seth Rogen, but he still does have some of the serious stuff throughout mm-hmm. it. It's it's good stuff. That's probably why I've had such a vested interest in that entire crew since then. I watched that show at an extremely formative age. So ever since then, anything those guys are in. Now Barbara Streisand, do mm-hmm. you how familiar are you with her career? Because I'm not. I and I hadn't really thought about it until we started watching this, and I was like, wow, she's really funny. I wonder how many people realize that, like me, when watching this movie. I think her being in it was not – I don't think their goal was to get people like you that weren't familiar with her. I think <laughs> – To get the Seth Rogen fans to realize <laughs> that Barbara Streisand was funny? Yeah. Um, I guess that's an odd question. I can't name off the top of my head how many movies of hers that I've seen, but of course I know who Barbara Streisand is. That's how I feel. I was like, I've yeah. seen her perform at the Oscars. I know who she is as a personality, and – I can maybe name a couple of movies of hers, like Yentl. I haven't seen it, but I know she's... Funny Girl. Funny Girl. Um, I've seen The Mirror Has Two Faces, which is her and Jeff Bridges. Uh, Uh, She was funnier in this one. Topical for recently, too, because she was in The Star is Born with... uh, Was it Chris Christopherson? right. Yeah. Yeah. haven't seen that one. That version. Uh, They had a Star is Born on my flight the other day, and I was like, no. (laughs) Come on. Be Coop. Yeah, isn't it supposed to be really depressing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, well, maybe they changed the ending on your flight. <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to think of what the ending would be. I, I love you. Let's <laughs> run away together. Uh, yeah, she was in the Meet the Parents sequels. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that that Can't would prove that she that was funny. Her, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, and she had that all-time incredible cameo on Saturday Night Live. Truth be told, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind when I think of her. Uh, the it was ninety-one, ninety-two. Um, Mike Myers had a skit that was like this talk show. It was like this big Jewish hub, and it was him. and And then it was already a really loaded episode because he played this woman. And then the guests were like his sisters who were played by Madonna and Roseanne. So it was already really like loaded. And then Barbara Streisand comes out and they all start losing their shit. It's a classic. Anyway, it's one of those things. That it's frustrating how talented some people can be. Because even just looking at her filmography, uh, she hadn't really done. The mirror has two faces. And then 
in between that and the guilt trip was just those meet the parents movies uh-huh. where I haven't seen either of those since they came out. But if I recall correctly, minimal effort was involved in those movies and she's not like blow away, like holy fuck in this movie, but she's very good and effective at a role. And it just comes off as so effortless that yep. it's like, God, how talented are you? Right. She's just like, turn it back on. Yeah. And- I mean, we don't know. Maybe she was rehearsing for like six months <laughs> so she could get it this back. This was her wrestler. Right. She was, oh, I'm going up against Rogan <laughs> to get my A game back. <laughs> Stiller and Dustin Hoffman and De Niro, that was nothing. But this Seth Rogan kid, These he was kids. knocked up. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed her. And um, yeah, it's one of those, I had never even seen any of it. That's what was so strange about it. I had assumed it came out after... I stopped working at the theater, uh, but then when I read the date, it's like, oh yeah, I do remember that. It was just there, and then it was gone. So it, I knew nothing about it. It was there, and then we needed an extra auditorium for Limis, so <laughs> so it was Probably. not there anymore. So that Russell Crowe could fucking yell sing at us. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just repeating the same point over and over again. But perfectly fine, of course. Nothing groundbreaking, but not offensive. And if someone asked for like, if like my mom asked for a pleasant movie to watch, like a comedy, I would be like, yeah, watch this. It's cute. I like the Avengers. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> if you like vanilla ice cream, watch this or the Avengers. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, what's your, what's your letter grade? Uh, C plus. Three stars. Is that the equivalent? You go on a five star scale, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that would be just about that. C plus just seems harsher. Man, I graduated fucking college with straight C's. Why has everyone got to be ragging on it? Yeah, I got, uh, like, my last week of school, I wanted so badly to do the Tommy Boy. You've never seen Tommy Boy, but it starts with, uh, he graduates college because he gets a D plus in his his final course. I got a D plus. I'm going to (laughs) graduate. Story of my life. So the road trip carries on. That was episode 85. Five. So moving along down the road to Little Miss Sunshine, which is 2007? Uh, 2006. So it would have been nominated for shit in 2007. <laughs> 91%. A towering Inferno is uh, Sirius Steve Carell, who was nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. That was the beginning of Sirius Steve Carell? Uh, yeah. Remember his beard? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen the movie more than once. It's been a while, but I've seen it several times. Wait, hold up. I might be wrong about him being nominated because it was... Um... I know she was nominated, the little girl. Abigail Breslin was nominated. And I think uh, it was Arkin. Alan Arkin yeah. was nominated. I think he might have won. Arkin? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, my main takeaway from it was... Yeah, Alan Arkin won. And it won Best Original Screenplay. It was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Good God Almighty. But Little Miss Sunshine, the, my main takeaway at the time, watching it in real time, was it was the first thing I saw that really made me realize how fucking good Greg Kinnear is. Everyone else has like their set characters throughout it. He's the only one that like his character goes through a whole range of emotions right, and execution. Right. And so I remember walking away from that being like, holy shit, this Greg Kinnear fellow is going places. <laughs> was this, had you seen As Good As It Gets? No. Okay, because that was, I remember, that was my moment with, and actually, he has more to do in Little Miss Sunshine, but as good as it gets, I remember that was his That big. was Jack Nicholson. Nicholson, Helen Hunt, I think all three of them got nominated, Nicholson, Helen Hunt, and uh, and Kinnear. 
shock me, shock me, shock me. I had no recollection of Little Miss Sunshine and The Departed being in the same year. I mean, The Departed's vastly superior, but still, that's very surprising. And then 2007, completely just going off now, just reading shit. There will be blood, no country for old men <laughs> in the same goddamn year. And Juno. <laughs> Road trip rages on back in time to 2006 as we review Little Miss Sunshine. Before then, though, Julio is taking a leave of absence from the United States of America. My hope is that when he returns, he'll be allowed back in. There may be a military coup in your absence with what's going on. Who fucking knows? Who knows? But I'll just... You'll have your laptop so we can Skype record if necessary. Yeah, exactly. As long as there's some sort of (laughs) Wi-Fi wherever I end up, uh, we'll be okay. So, in the interim, to kind of help bite us some time, we're going to be doing a bonus episode uh entitled why do i own this we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna go over uh five movies in our collection that we went through and asked ourselves why do i own this yeah or like oh i own this (laughs) (laughs) which was literally my my what i said out loud when i i realized that i owned annie a couple episodes ago it's true yeah when you purchase movies like julio and myself and i know i've talked to uh, Chaz online about this before from former podcast guest. It's a it's a real pain, uh, a real struggle, as it were. You'll because you'll be out and just buy them and forget about it, and uh, in some cases end up buying the same movie multiple times. So it's an odd life people like us live. Yeah. So that one will come out on the first, which mm-hmm. is normally where uh, when uh, Little Miss Sunshine would have come out. And Little Miss Sunshine would come out just a few days later. It's just that I get back. Wanted in the to country, give us a buffer. Yeah. Cross your fingers, I get back into the country on the 29th. And so it really, it seemed like we were really uh, painting ourselves into a corner if we wanted to release between the 29th and the 1st. So that way we were covered. Just imagine like the end of seven, I have to come meet you out in the middle of nowhere just to get you back across. (laughs) Just like a bunch of TSA agents and a box. (laughs) Your passport's in the box. (laughs) Oh, God. We live in a very scary time. So anyway, and closing as always with our plugs. First and foremost, the festive years for providing our opening and closing tracks. Opening track is Last Stand, closing track, Summer of 99. Go to com for all your festive years needs. Our beautiful logo. The beautiful logo is from uh, Hans Ruth Gieser. Uh, he does logos. He does comics. He has a podcast called Nación Combi. Um, and you can contact him uh, on Twitter at Mil Demonios. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. If you want to check out stuff that he writes, uh, he's at mildemonios.pe, P-E for Peru, because he's Peruvian. That's what his podcast is about, Peruvian stuff. And he actually has a, a, a podcast that he did a while ago. It's like more like a limited series <laughs> the limited series version of a podcast where uh, he was talking to uh, immigrants living in Peru. So the opposite of what I am. Why would you want to go living in Peru? Not sure, but I guess that podcast explores that and it's in English. So he's like, you know, you're always talking about how people need to know Spanish to listen to my podcast. But if they don't know Spanish, but know English, you can listen to uh, the podcast called Living in Peru. And it's not on iTunes, it's on uh, Vox. And I'll, I'll put the link on the on the show notes, but that's interesting. You know what? He also told me, uh, he listened to our uh, 
uh, episode about uh, the the Chris Evans Jessica Biel masterpiece London London and uh, you know we were going on and we'll talk about how nobody takes Jessica Biel seriously and the roles that she takes and whatever and somehow we completely forgot about the A team where yes she flaunts her looks but she's mostly a strong I character I failed myself I know when he said it I was like you're right how did Alex let that happen <laughs> Maybe because once we cover a movie in the show, then we just put it out of our mind. Yeah. Entranced. I guess because we were talking so heavily on her looks, which that movie does a really good job of not like overly celebrating how right. gorgeous she is. She's more just like a badass. And so. she has like arguably the best line of the movie. The Are they trying to shoot down the drone? <laughs> no. They're trying to fly that tank. So more love for Jessica Biel. Yeah. Watch the A good catch. team. Yeah, good catch. Good yeah, catch watch hands. the A team, and then write your local congressman about how the sequel needs to be made with John Hamm as the bad guy. Everybody is still around. Everybody's still rampage needs the money. <laughs> B Coop is is just like an acclaimed director now, so really bringing even more more clout to the project. Chartreuse Copley. I don't think he's got too much going on. Uh, all right. Uh, so so, what do you have to plug? Uh, I've seen a lot of people talk about it, so I don't think I'm breaking any ground, or nor am I going to go on at length about it. But I binged uh, Dead to Me on Netflix, and it's great. It's one of those things I watched, like uh, Love. I remember plugging Love, that show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the third season now, right? Love. It was. Yeah, it's been a while. I don't even know if they're going to do another one. But that, um, what's the Bateman show I like? Ozark, Ozark, which is a bit more taxing because the episodes are between 60 and 90 minutes. But this, Dead to Me, I don't think any of the episodes went over 26 minutes. And it's one of those things that because we are in such a state of constant gratification and constant access and need, it made me feel gluttonous. But I was so happy that I would have readily available access to the next episode right. one after the other. Um, you were the dream user for Netflix. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And... I like Christina Applegate. They actually tie in because she had that breast cancer scare, you know? Yeah, yeah, And they yeah, tie yeah. in her mastectomy into the story of the the, uh, the show. And, and That's really, cool. Yeah. And we've talked about this on the podcast, Julio and I both. Linda Cardellini, incredibly untapped talent. Do they tie in Linda Cardellini's uh, role in Green Book into the story? <laughs> <laughs> she comes on the set and says, hi, uh, I was in a movie that won an Oscar, but I wasn't really in it. So can I do something? So Linda Carlini. <laughs> is that what's dead to her? Green Book? <laughs> I hope. Incredibly gorgeous. Also just ridiculously talented. And just for per, my takes personally for what I like, just extremely captivating. Like whenever she's on screen, no matter what she's done, I've always been like, yes, I will follow you into the mouth of hell. Just lead me. I'll uh, follow you into the Green Book. Ed Asner. Really? Lo- Love Ed Asner. He's got a small but very good part in it. And, of course, the the Don, James Marsden, just bringing the heat, man. <laughs> Destroying relationships, I'm sure, left and right. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and just like a womanizer amongst womanizers. It, Such a player, he cheats on himself. <laughs> it catches you. It hooks you quick. And it maybe it's one of those things of because of that, the way writing is now with movies and television, that constant need for gratification, there's no guarantee that the next season will be anywhere near as good as the first one because they yeah. might have cashed in all their chips. When we talked about The Office was the first ever real culprit of that where it's like, Keep oh, going. what do we do now? So, 
I kind of get the feeling that with Netflix, uh, it it goes the other way around, where the the fear is not so much are they going to run out of story, but more like will they be able to finish the story because they've kind of become infamous for canceling shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I think I'm more aware of it now because I listen to Dan's. Uh, uh, podcast which is all about Netflix and mm-hmm. so every time that there's a cancellation story even if it's a show that I don't follow I hear about it and now I'm like wow there's a lot of those <laughs> uh, whatever the case heavy recommendation for that I feel like I watched something else this week that I would recommend but come and gone then it must have not been that good it, yeah it didn't leave that Do you hear when people say that when you just like can't remember something they're like well if it was important you would remember Yeah, that's not how the brain works <laughs> Oh, I do remember now. Uh, Bewitched. Uh, going back <laughs> to plug ourselves on this one. Fuck y'all. That movie's great. And it's that movie's one, great. It's one of those. It's up there with like Elizabethtown and the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake that there have been so many shit ass movies since then that it raises their stock just by comparison. <laughs> Like, I was thinking about Elizabethtown the other day. It's like, fuck me. If this came out today, it would be like massively celebrated. <laughs> That's not to say it's like a terrible movie. It's just I've come to realize he was going to fail no matter what he did following up. Almost exactly. Famous. That's what I was going to say. The follow up to Almost Famous, the, a remake of the of, of a classic horror movie that's just basically everybody loves, uh, and uh, Bewitch also uh, an adaptation of a TV show that everybody loves. It's kind of you already have the odds stacked against you. Yeah. So and uh, with Bewitched, one thing I caught this go around that I didn't when we recorded was when he uh, they got had James Lipton to do like the mock inside the actor's studio with Will Ferrell's character. Uh-huh. And he asks him, or he says, like, many are saying that this uh, reboot is just uh, paraphrasing, but like a corporate cash grab instead of actually taking a risk on an original idea. <laughs> and I'm like, God damn, this is like 15 years ago. And they were calling it on the head. And I realized... Goes, like, You're thinking of Aladdin. <laughs> I realized this time around, my big thing with it is... Uh, I have such a hard time really liking Nicole Kidman and so much. And in that movie, she's so lovable mm-hmm. that I think that goes a long way with it, too. But biggest plug, watch Dead to Me. <laughs> you can watch it in a day. I did. I was sick from work and binge the whole thing. So I, I would like to tell you that uh, I'll be able to. But unfortunately, it's one of those shows that my wife is interested in. So I think I'm under obligation of watching it with her. Every now and then she'll release me from one of those because she'll realize that we have too much stuff that we can't watch together because yeah. we work and we have adult lives. But um, like I was recently released from the obligation of uh, the last two episodes of uh, – uh, Fuck, the John Krasinski show on Amazon Prime, uh, Jack Ryan. Okay. So it's eight episodes. We watched six of them together months ago. It might have been even like last year. I don't know. Whenever it came out. And uh, we haven't been able to finish it because every time that we're watching something together, we want to watch something else. But when I'm by myself, I could finish that show. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll download it and take it uh, on our honeymoon. Um, my plugs, real fast, because I have three of them. Uh, first off. I finally caught up with the rest of the world, and I was able to, uh, along with a bunch of Austinites, uh, attend Hamilton. Yes. They finally brought it to Austin, and uh, I've had tickets. It's it's been a long game. I basically had to renew my season uh, pass subscription to uh, the Broadway in Austin thing two years in a row, um, just so I could have a reserved seat for Hamilton. Uh, and it was great. It was everything... I, I posted on my Facebook. I just said, believe the hype. Everything you've heard about Hamilton, assuming that you like musicals, 
it's right there. And I resisted the temptation of listening to the music ahead of time. And it paid off because I was able to experience everything at once instead of kind of ruin it for myself by knowing the lyrics and kind of inferring where the story was going to go. I know very little about uh, Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr, everything else going on. So to me, it was just like watching brand new stuff. I, I, I'm i sure if you're a history buff, you're either uh, annoyed by how they deviate from real history or just kind of a little bored because you already knew what was going to happen. But even then, they're songs. <laughs> they're really cool. And it's like, I know you don't like Moulin Rouge, but the... I kept thinking about how when I watched Moulin Rouge, you really felt that whether you liked it or not, you were watching something that was very different from what had come before as far as musicals. And mm-hmm. that's a lot how I felt watching Hamilton and what they do with the music and how they they approach the material. It just felt really fresh. And then, of course, I also liked it on top of that. So, so that was great. I don't need to tell you, if you're interested in Hamilton, it's not like my recommendation is going to make you finally, you know, so do it but uh if it ever comes to your town do what you can to procure yourself tickets uh also i watch the delightful comedy book smart uh have you seen the trailer for uh, i really it? want to see that yeah, yeah the uh, the easy pitch is it's super bad but with girls that's kind of a good starting point but then it's it's i've heard it, it's a bit it's more something. than that yeah, yeah yeah and it's i mean just from the very beginning the fact that it's you know two girls and not two guys it definitely got, has its own flavor uh, but then i'm a big fan of uh caitlin deaver which is one of the girls okay she was in a um you remember short term 12 the, oh, yeah. the girl that's being abused by her father okay uh well she can also do comedy <laughs> so that's, yeah was, you weren't that's, setting yourself up for me to laugh at anything there. well I, I i know you haven't seen justified because she's also in justified and, and she's also in one of those Tim Allen comedies where she plays uh, his daughter. But the bottom line is Eight she's simple rules to do that is John Ritter. No, one of those man of the house. Something yes, like that. yeah. Uh, she's really funny. She's really talented, and she's great in this movie. Uh, and you know, so is her co-star. I don't remember her name, but she's basically she. I guess she's known right now as Jonah Hill's sister. But I mean, she's just gonna carve herself. Uh, is she really? She is. Oh, okay. She's Jonah Hill's sister, but she's not playing the Jonah Hill role. Uh, you know, they're both uh, they're very different archetypes than uh, than what you play with in Superbad, which is why it's really the, the comparison is not really that that exact. Uh, let me look up her name, Beanie Feldstein. If you watch um, Oscar-nominated Lady Bird, she was a uh, Lady Bird's friend in that movie. But anyway, they're both really funny. Everybody's funny in that movie uh jason sudeikis has a cameo he's nice. like a, a bit part longer than uh, colin hanks in this movie in uh, <laughs> guilt trip but yeah he's he's really funny too anyway check out book smart they kind of got it's sad that a lot of the attention is coming just about how it's i guess it's flopped it's not made as much money as everybody was hoping and uh it, well it's still playing in theaters so just go see it <laughs> while it's still in theaters um and finally I had the pleasure of watching Avengers Endgame a third time uh, with a purpose, as our friend who just uh, you mentioned not too long ago, Chas Fisher. You know, he has his own podcast called Draft Zero. And I've been invited to guest on a special episode where they're going to discuss Avengers Endgame. Hell yeah. Chas has some issues with uh, uh, some screenwriting issues with the movie. And 
his co-host and I are gonna gang up on him and set him straight. There you so, go. So I didn't go as far as pull a notebook during my screening, but I was definitely watching the movie in a more analytical sense. Um, which I, I guess you know, for the third time watching it, 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 it was it was fine. It was fun, but it also it it confirmed that I think that the the, the MCU needs to be part of our upcoming hundredth episode celebration in one way or another. Uh, and if that is uh, doing an episode on Endgame, that's great. But I think that for the last, for the climax, I might have to be in a different room <laughs> because I'm not ready to, for your parents and your sister, anybody else that's in your house at the time to see me cry <laughs> uh, like like an excited fanboy, which I am happily. Uh, but anyway, so three plugs, Hamilton, Booksmart, and uh, the upcoming Draft Zero episode that you know I'll link to whenever whenever it comes out. Fair enough. That'll do it for our kickstart here on the summer road trip of the Contrarians. Next stop will be uh, Little Miss Sunshine. In the meantime, we'll have a cute little bonus episode for y'all. As always, we appreciate you listening, and we appreciate you guys supporting us, the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Fessor of 1999